Welcome to the All-Star Break version of the Boarding Pass, where we have a special guest with us today, Paul Edmonds. You know him as the radio voice of the Winnipeg Jets, utility voice. We're going to be talking about all sorts of things in Winnipeg Jets land today. The team has lost three straight on the road, four straight overall, five of its last six, I believe, six of its last seven, pardon me. There are a lot of things to discuss about how this has happened why it has happened, what's going to be coming next for the Winnipeg Jets as they look forward towards a wild card spot or the catastrophe of not claiming a wild card spot. We have the veteran presence of Mr. Paul Edmonds, a play-by-play announcer on TSN 1290. He's in a hockey, baseball, he's a dad, we'll get into that as well. He owns a Weber, he fishes a Lund, and Paul, hi, welcome to the boarding pass today. All right, uh, thanks a lot, Marat. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to fill in for Kenny and Let's have a good hockey talk. Yeah, absolutely. We've had the pleasure of having a few terrific conversations on TSN 1290 as part of the Jets pregame uh, over the course of this last road trip in front of the Mums, who unfortunately didn't get to enjoy a win. So before we get into Mums, and I know that you have a special connection to this trip as well, I mean, what do you make of the fact that this team is on its slide right now? Are they full value for these losses, or are there any positives to take away from what we've seen? of late because certainly there have been a lot of losses haven't there Polly? well there have been and there's been a lot more at home than you would certainly like i think i went back and did a figure going back to last year and including the playoffs this team i believe since the beginning of march last year is seven games under 500 at home so you know you always want to be able to win games at home because those are the people that are paying for you to continue and they're paying the freight, but the Winnipeg Jets have not been very good at home. I mean, there was a period there in November where they were made us kind of forget the season last year toward the end and then the start this year, but now they've struggled at home again. And then there was always sort of that sanctuary Marat and that was the road. Well, they've scuffled now on the road to the point where they've dumped four in a row going back to Boston and then all three games on this recent road trip before they get to the break. So there's not a place where they can find right now where they're winning consistently. Part of it for me is they are banged up and they are injured and the ranks are depleted and you're asking players such as, and he did a pretty good job the other night, Mason Appleton, and I'll just use him as an example, to go up to the second line and play right wing. Well, Mason might be a second line right winger at some point in his National Hockey League career. I just don't know if it's right now. And as a result, you're certainly getting guys playing out of position or out of what would be their exposure. And you're kind of overexposing some of these guys and maybe asking too much because you're hurt and you're banged up. So for me, when they get out of this break, it will be a different Winnipeg Jets team that we see. They'll get some guys healthy. But I think that one thing that you can take positively out of what has been a bit of a tailspin here of late is the way they played the last two games on back-to-back nights earlier this week in Carolina and then Columbus. The effort was there. The passion was there. The drive was there. The compete was there. It's just the results were not. So I would be much more concerned if you were having poor results plus the fact that you were watching this team spiral and not really caring about what was going on and and just moving along and, and almost ready to maybe see if a coach would get dispatched or not. That's not the way I see this team. So it's a bit of a swoon for sure, Marat. 
Um, every team has them. The key for this team now is coming out of the break to make sure that it doesn't really last any longer as you get toward the end of this month and into the beginning of February. Well, I think that's a great point. I'm of such two minds on this, Paul, because we hear a lot, uh, you know, on social media and the call-in shows and everything like this about sort of what fans' reactions to this streak has been. And certainly, I'm not going to argue that the Winnipeg Jets have played a, a particularly high-quality brand of hockey with all the extenuating circumstances. And without the extenuating circumstances, I, I don't think you can argue that. But one thing that hasn't happened is they haven't quit on the coach. They haven't stopped trying. The the like blood, sweat, and tears are absolutely still there. You've got Mark Shifley fighting all of a sudden. That's an interesting look. Um, when Blake Wheeler goes in a postgame after, after the, uh, another loss and says, you know what, we busted our ass, I hear that and I look at what I've seen on the ice and I sincerely wholeheartedly believe it. And yet that's in the face of a series of losses piling up. And you mentioned that coming out of the break is going to be an important string of hockey for the Winnipeg Jets. That's absolutely right. They play against Boston first and foremost, which is a team that is obviously near the top of the NHL standings they've struggled against. They have two games against St. Louis and one game against Nashville, who is surging up the Western Conference standings as well. They could go into this break, Paul, and and come up with answers and heal up a little bit and still, by virtue of the quality of the teams that they're playing against, not pile up the wins immediately. Eh? I mean, they're in a difficult position. Well, they are. And, you know, it's funny because in preparation for this today, I thought of the exact same thing. You can have all your ducks in a row and you can get guys back healthy and you can certainly feel like in that practice coming up on January 30th before the 31st game against Boston that the power play looks great. You've made a couple of different wrinkles on the penalty kill. Everybody looks fresh and bright-eyed again. And then go in and play these teams that are, well, if you're the Boston Bruins, you're leading the Atlantic Division. If you're the St. Louis Blues, you're the defending Stanley Cup champs and you haven't relinquished and there hasn't been any hangover to you leading the Central Division. And then, of course, as you mentioned, Nashville's coming in with a new coach, and they're not that far away with games in hand. So it's going to be not strength of schedule, that's for sure, for the Winnipeg Jets. So I think that the next couple of weeks afterward are going to be probably the most important time of the year for this team. And it will certainly chart the course, Marat, as to where they're going to go. Are they going to be a team that challenges and continues to challenge for a wild card spot and thus maybe wants to get a little deeper at the deadline on the 24th of February? Or do they realize that there's just not a whole lot here right now? Um, it's a bit of a fait accompli that with what they have, uh, they're just not going to get there. So do you start to sell off some expiring contracts or a contract that maybe has one year left on it and move some pieces down the road? And if that's the case, I guess I'm okay with that because then the next maneuver after that is playing the kids. And that is Mason Appleton, Jansen Harkins, Christian Veselainen, Sammy Niku. Make sure that these guys are battle ready for next year so it's not a rebuild, it's a retool and you're still competitive or at least you believe you are when you break camp in September and you're going into the following season. So there's one of two scenarios. I guess the third one could be that you stand pat. I don't see the Winnipeg Jets doing that if it's one or the other, if they're going to be in contention for a playoff spot or if they're not. So there's lots of things to unfold here. I wouldn't suggest to you that within the first three games, 
we'll know coming out of the break against those teams that we've talked about as to whether they're going to go in one direction or in the other. But I would tell you as that couple of weeks unfolds after the break, we'll have a better idea of where the Winnipeg Jets are going to go this year and I think for next. Well, one thing that Kevin Dayoff has done a particularly good job of, in my mind, over the last two seasons at each trade deadline is kind of reading the room. And I use that phrase a lot. And to me, it means just being aware of the context that his team is in. In 2017-2018, the good year, the great year, um, Winnipeg had a ton of young players not making full value of their contracts quite yet. Last season, it was the same. Patrick Laine and Kyle Connor's contracts hadn't kicked in yet. There were a lot of raises on the way. There was cap space. And though there were injuries piling up and though there was a big second half slump about to begin, the team was still high up in the standings and in a quality position to contend for the playoffs. So what did Kevin Dayoff do? He went shopping. 2018 adds Paul Stastny, has a major impact. 2019 adds Kevin Hayes, who honestly I feel like will go down as an extremely underrated player in Winnipeg circles, but it was still an add even if he wasn't able to have the impact that Stastny had, who could. This year, reading the room is going to be very, very different. And whether it is about just patching things up and fighting for that playoff spot or whether it becomes sell mode, whatever it is, I agree with you. There's going to be more information available to him between now and the 24th. And if if Winnipeg continues its slide and is well outside the playoff spot, then all of a sudden moves for next season seem to be the most important play. I'd argue, actually, in some cases, that with so many expiring unrestricted free agents this summer, especially on the back end, that players like Sami Niku should be prioritized already. But I don't think he's defending quite at that level where Paul Maurice is going to trust him. Paul, I want to get into a couple of things where I, I, I believe that the, some of the sources of Winnipeg struggles first. But I also want to throw it to you about one thing that the Jets have done extremely well of late. And it was the mom's trip. Mm-hmm. Roses on the plane, champagne, stories from the moms. We were in the same hustle, or sorry, hustle, same scrum. I don't know why those two words conflate in my mind. We were in the same <laughs> scrum with the moms. And they were so sweet. It was so heartwarming. And not only that, uh, you were able to bring your daughter with you and have, uh, have family time as well. So I wanted to kind of get your, your thoughts on, on that aspect of the Jets play and, uh, and, and what you were able to experience. Okay, well, first off to the mums trip versus the other trips that I've been on where we've been allowed to take a guest. So I should just kind of clarify here. Uh, as a broadcaster, myself, Brian Munns, Dennis Bayak, and Kevin Sawyer now, used to be Shane Knighty, were always allowed uh, the the privilege of bringing somebody along on the guest trip. And a lot of times it's been the dad's trip. So this is my sixth year. They've done this trip in my six years four times, so I've been able to bring a guest. So I brought my dad, I brought my father-in-law, and I brought my brother-in-law. So I've kind of got the guys covered, if you will. But this was a little unique because they had talked about a mom's trip, and I thought for a while, and maybe it had, it had died on the vine. Well, it got resurrected this year, and probably of the four, notwithstanding taking your father um, and getting him to see what goes on behind the scenes because you know you grew up in the game because your dad liked the game and he introduces you to the game and I've done the same same with my boys and my daughter as well um but you know you bring the mums into the equation and what I really found about this trip to be unique was there were no errors about the mums the mums are just that mums they're caring they look out for everybody there's a a sense of family immediately around them 
And you almost got the feeling that if a mom didn't like what was going on with one of the players, she was going to grab them by the ear. You know what I mean? Where the dads, <laughs> where the dads, you know, the dads are kind of, and rightfully so, because the dads have invested a lot in the hockey end of things of that player, right? Where the mom has invested more into the person, not necessarily the player, right? So the, the dads, shall I say, have a little bit more hubris about them right? Their noses are a little more in the air and understandably so. That's not a criticism. That's just certainly something that I've observed over three trips of having the dads where there was none of that with the moms. Everybody was friendly and wanting to share a story. And with my daughter, it was interesting because I had asked my mom if she wanted to come Marat and my parents are well into their seventies. They winter in Phoenix and I guess a little sidebar story to that was my mom is not very comfortable in flying. And I mean, she's still able-bodied, no problem, but she does not like getting on an airplane. And there was a lot of legs on this trip. Of course, there was Winnipeg to Chicago, Chicago to Carolina, Carolina to Columbus, Columbus home, right? Well, for her to get back home uh, to Winnipeg from Phoenix, there's no direct this year because they've recalled a number of airplanes um, within the airlines that usually fly direct to a lot of the cities, including Phoenix to Winnipeg. So that direct is no more right now because there's a um, an electronics issue with this aircraft that has been flying that leg uh, for the last number of years. So they pulled those aircraft off, meaning she would have had to have another leg through Calgary. And that was just kind of that was the cincher for her. she just didn't want to go so she said kind of almost apologetically would there be somebody else I could take I said well they're allowing daughters and once she heard that I could take Jamie my daughter my 12 year old daughter with me my mom just acquiesced right away so I was able to take my daughter and the special part about that was I don't know that my family really truly understands what goes on on the road they've made a lot of sacrifices over my career um, I have, I married my best friend, so that's been the best thing about it. And she understands. And through that extension, my kids understand about when dad is away. Now, when I'm home, I'm home, but I have missed a lot of time with my kids, my 17 year old, my 12 year old, my 11 year old, just hockey, baseball, volleyball, just other things because I'm on the road and traveling. And sometimes even when you're home with the schedule that it is, you're not home. So to be able to have the opportunity provided to take her, and she plays double-A hockey in a girls' league here in Winnipeg as well. So she's a hockey fan and player. So to take her, to spend that time with her, and it was five un, you know, unspecified days of what we were doing, and we were just together the whole time. She really absorbed everything. I thought the mums were great to her. I had no preconceived notions about taking my daughter there and then having other people babysit her, if you will, or, or look after her. I made some arrangements where I would take her on the bus to the rink, um, but then the mums would come later, and then I would pass her off into the mums' sky suite. And the mums, especially, I can tell this story, Elaine Lowry, Adam Lowry's mom, uh, she came up and introduced herself and she wanted to know this was early in the trip. And I told her about my daughter and I said, you know, I, I'm going to get her down there. You said, she said, you just bring her to me and I'll look after her. And then when we were doing the exchange in Chicago, the first night into the sky suite, I passed her off and Elaine was there and she said, okay, we're good. I got her now. And the moms just kind of rallied around my 12 year old daughter. And, and Jamie just said, you know, this was terrific. It was just a great trip. 
Um, everybody was just so accommodating. She had her eyes open to what goes on. And what goes on is not cigars and cognac at 37,000 feet. I can tell you that, right? The in and out of a suitcase, in and out of a bag, onto a bus, into the rink, onto a bus, over to the hotel, onto a bus, over to the plane. You know, it's just constant that way. And, and it's perpetual movement. And to see what dad goes on and has go on behind the scenes, I think was invaluable for her. And for me, it was a trip of a trip of a lifetime for both of us. And something that I think that we will finally remember for all of our lives. That is such a good story. And I love the part too, where your mom, when, when you have the opportunity to take your daughter basically says, Nope, I'm out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's such a mom thing to do, right? To put somebody else in front of, in front of her. Um, and then also to your point, of sort of things going on behind the scenes. I'm reminded of Linda Pritchard, Al Pritchard's mom, yep. talking about being right there, snipping threads off of jerseys. Just <laughs> if there was a little thread, they were getting them, they were checking for holes, they are putting gum and tape in the right places, organizing the stalls, getting that look behind. Because, you know, after all, the, the, the city that, that it takes to run a hockey team is so unbeknownst to so many people. And, of course, Linda's son, Al, has a huge part in that. When, it, when Connor Hellebuck is wearing his Heritage Classic toque, it's Al making sure that that thing's stuck together and everything works um and of course uh we're all well aware in the in the uh in winnipeg and in manitoba and beyond of pritch strong uh the the battle that alan is is going through with cancer and recovering well from and, and keeping a positive attitude i gotta tell you paul to talk to mrs pritchard afterwards even after the interviews were done mm -hmm. spent another 10 15 minutes speaking with her halfway through i just asked her is it okay if I give you a hug? Yeah. And she says, of course. And it's, there's just so much love and positivity in that family and in so many of the families that we were able to see. I don't know if fans always get an insight to that. So it was nice to be able to share just a little bit of that uh, and, and convey that as well, just like you say, because they were such real human beings. I, If I might interject to one more part of that that was unique, especially about the mom's of the support staff, I'll call them, okay? So you've got Rob Molette and you've got Brad Shaw, who are the athletic therapists, right? And then you've got Jason McMaster, Mark Grayhan, and Mike Flamin, who are the equipment guys. And then you've got Al Pritchard. So you've got this group of guys that work together to make sure that the equipment's moved around, that guys have steel in their skates, the tapes there, that the helmet visor is tightened up, all these kinds of things that go on behind the scenes. And those guys have a very unique bond. They're very close. They're all friends. They live pretty much in the same area, just south of the city. And the mums, who really didn't know each other, other than their sons were connected, came together really quickly, and they bonded over the course of this trip. And there was really no introduction before that. They didn't really know each other, maybe knew of each other's sons, but they didn't know each other personally. And the bond that came together so quickly with them. And as you mentioned, they were down there in the dressing room. They were fixing socks, getting rid of threads on jerseys. They were helping the boys out uh, that do that job on a full-time basis. And that was really unique and very appealing for me to watch how that quickly connected the group as well. So you have this support group that's very well in tune with each other both on and off the ice, if you will, to use that hockey parlance. But then their moms adopted that 
And it was so organic and so natural that you just couldn't walk away and not appreciate what you just saw for the five days. So that was the other part of it that I thought was, was very revealing and very special about that mom's trip for sure. You know what? I, I feel like we're both gushing and I think that it's almost the exact right thing to do it because the amount of cynicism that can go into, especially during a losing streak, um, uh, into analysis, into coverage, uh, it can build up. And what you're saying about how organic it was, I'll just wrap up the mom topic by saying that absolutely I perceived it the same way. It was so much so that whatever shell you carry around from your day to day or going to take care of one task and then the next, uh, it really just overwhelmed and, and, and it took me right out of all of that. Uh, and, and I think that the gushing is, is fully warranted in this case. It just felt so real. But, Paul, I got to put on my cynics hat once again. Okay. We're going to put on the cynical toque, okay? So this is a team that has lost a lot of hockey games of late. This is a, a, a team three straight on the road, four straight overall, five of six, six of seven. It goes back on and on. I think it's something like six wins in the last 19. You're going to want to double check on that. But we're approaching some fairly difficult uh Fairly difficult times record-wise. I think I pulled it up since the middle of December. It Detroit's number 31, Winnipeg's number 30 in terms of points percentage in that time. And that is not a, a good look, necessarily. So we've talked about this before. There's a lot of different reasons and a lot of different factors that go into this play. I mean, hockey has bounces. Hockey has injuries, to be sure. Winnipeg is among the league leaders in, in, in injured players and man games lost. You got the Dustin Bufflin situation. But at the end of the day, when a team is facing this kind of record and this kind of slide, I feel like you kind of have to look under every stone in an effort to evaluate things. So... Whether it's the players that, that wear a certain portion, uh, you know, whether some of the all-world offensive players like, say, a Mark Shifley, who was briefly bumped to second-line center after a poor defensive game. Uh, whether it's the lack of depth, would that go to management? Whether it's an, an inability to sort of compensate for the lack of depth, does that go to coaching? Or is this a situation that simply couldn't be avoided? And it, it's, it's a wide range of possibilities, but when a team's struggling as much as it is i feel like they must all be explored so let's start with the players and i'm just wondering um let's start with mark shifley for an example who's having an absolutely all-world offensive season he got that little bump off the first line uh you and i seem to think there might have been a defensive message for that why do you think that's the case well i think because sometimes mark who I love watching as a player and I want to preface what I'm going to say by giving something positive. First and foremost, I have watched Mark's game grow this year, particularly below the circles and below the goal line. I don't know that there is a player on the Winnipeg jets or many in the national hockey league now that can execute the cutback and be that maneuverable and hard to contain down low as Mark Shifley has become for the Winnipeg Jets inside the offensive zone. He is, I mean, you can have guys literally draped on his back and he's going to get to the forehand and probably find a way either to get himself to the front of the net with the puck or get the puck to the front of the net uh, or at least go low to high back to the point. So that game or that area of the game for Mark Shifley has grown. 
but one thing, and I would tell you that Mark's defensive game has gotten better as well, but one of the things that Mark still has in his game to be critical is some cheat. And he will cheat sometimes to get the puck in a spot where maybe he can get to a two-on-one or an odd-man rush and and turn it into offense. And it might be still a guy that's in his mid-20s that's learning the 200-foot game to become a premier player. And what he'll need to understand is that that cheat needs to come out or be a little bit more discretionary when you want to maybe fly the zone for an opportunity to turn the puck into a transition and off the rush. But the defense aspect, especially when you're a team that is struggling defensively and five-on-five scoring right now, needs to come first. And Mark has grown leaps and bounds in his overall game. There's still that element, I think, that needs to be improved. And that's when you get the puck, when you get the puck, then you can go. But you're not cheating until you get the puck and you've battled as hard down low in the offensive zone as you need to battle hard inside your own zone to get the puck and away you go and transition and turn it north. So that would be the one criticism for me with Mark is that there's still a little bit of cheat that exists in his game. And as a result, it's not as he's not as adept defensively as he should be, or he can become as he works himself into being one of these premier players in the national hockey league, which I think he's pretty much arrived there, but there's still a little bit of improvement left in his game. Murat. Yeah, you know what? I see it so much the same way, and it's not coming from a place of Mark Shifley isn't an all-world player in many respects. It's coming from a place of he's so good, he's such an all-world offensive player at this point. If he's going to go from that cusp of the very best in the game to among the very few best in the game, well, I think there's a clear spot uh, of his game, which is just what you say. It's that cheat. Um, it's that time where the back check turns into a glide or a coverage is missed. That does happen from time to time if those can be pulled from his game as it continues to evolve he climbs the mountain just one step higher clearly he's at the all-star game right now and at the all-star break right now selected because of his offensive gifts Uh, I think that's the next stage of his game another thing that I'll argue as well and this is a point that I have to remind myself of sometimes at the end of the day uh, he's clearly one of the bus drivers for the team and I believe that stars win games I if I look at the Winnipeg Jets roster and I'm looking for places to hang the losing streak on it's certainly not um, even if more can be gotten from them it's not amongst the very best players and it sort of comes down to the depth and uh, we talk about the defense all of the time the defense even talks about the defense all the time I've been asking the guys is there any extra us against the world that you get mm-hmm. when everybody's writing you off and well there is believe you me there is uh they know what they're up against what do you i mean this is one of the most unique defensive cores that we've ever (laughs) seen we were so used to a team so deep you had tyler myers and dmitry kulikov on the third pairing um and now where where does the blame fall is it just injuries is it was it the team's inability to prepare for this is it all out of their hands? Because I, I have no context. You've been at this for longer yeah. than me for a, a defensive core in Winnipeg that struggles this much. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, and this might be an off-the-board submission. And it's been touched on because it was the biggest story of the year uh, going into training camp. But the National Hockey League is a league where you build. And 
it's very hard to build in season. I mean, when you look at the back end of the Winnipeg Jets right now, and I know Carl Dahlstrom is hurt, but between Carl Dahlstrom and Lucas Spiza, you've acquired two guys that have been here seemingly all year off the waiver wire. You don't build your team off the waiver wire. You maybe acquire a player off the waiver wire for your depth, okay? But not to have a guy like a Lucas Spiza off the waiver wire who's playing top four minutes, right? I mean, and and let's not forget, he's making $700,000. He leads the team in shot blocks. He's been pretty good. He's physical. He moves the puck. But there's a reason why he was on the waiver wire, right? So he's been a real good pickup for the Winnipeg Jets. But they need something that's a little bit more along the lines of a Dustin Bufflet, which gets me to the unique submission off the board here. Nobody can prepare for what happened with Dustin Bufflin or what he decided to do and then the story that's unfolded since and the story that is still yet to be written with Dustin Bufflin, presumably into February. You can't prepare for that. Where where are you going to cast blame on, on Paul Maurice or Kevin Dayoff when one of your star players making $8 million a year, paid like that as well, decides the day before training camp that mm, maybe I've lost my passion and I need to take some time off. And then that moves and morphs into the ankle injury and we don't need to rehash the entire story. But it has handcuffed the Winnipeg Jets from day one. And I'll tell you why. Number one, you don't have Dustin Bufflin in your lineup. And how good would he look on the defensive core right now? He'd be blocking shots. He'd be power play operative up top for sure. He would also be providing what I would tell you has been devoid this year, and that's team toughness on the back end. He's hard to play against. He moves the puck. He can skate. He's physical. I mean, you're missing Dustin Bufflin, a huge part of your team. You were banking on Dustin Bufflin when all these other departures happen as being a guy that was going to log 27 minutes a game, right? So you don't have him. But even if Dustin Bufflin decided on July the 1st or or June 15th, that he was done, that he didn't want to play, and he told Kevin Day off that this was going to happen, you know for a fact that Chevy would have then taken that $8 million available to him, sweetened the pot there for Ben Sherratt, and Ben Sherratt would still be in Winnipeg and not Montreal. And how good would Ben Sherratt look right now on the blue line for the Winnipeg Jets? So this thing got off the rails with one man's decision right at the start of training camp. And there's no possible way that you're able to fix it. I went through today in preparation for this, looking at possibly some free agents on the blue line that might be available for a pickup. There's not a whole lot of guys there coming up on the 24th. There's not a lot of good top four blue liners that might be available. So when you lose a guy like Dustin Bufflin, or by extension, you lose a guy like Ben Sherratt, that's a big key and a big blow to one of your spots on the top four of your defensive depth chart. And the Winnipeg Jets just haven't been able to recover because of that. That has been the story of this season. And I don't know if Chevy could be a magician or an illusionist or whatever to try to ply, pry somebody else out of Dustin Bufflin's caliber to plunk on his blue line. But I'm going to tell you right now, that guy's just not out there. 
Well, that is certainly the story of the season. At the beginning of the season, the cap space was not there, and the opportunities to add to the blue line were limited to waiver wire acquisitions or some sort of rabbit out of a hat situation, which certainly didn't happen. As we approach the trade deadline, some of that cap space has built up because Bufflin's cap hit has not accumulated. So this top four where... You've got Morrissey and Pionk leading the way in terms of top four or five on five minutes. Next up, Dmitry Kulikov, historically a third-pairing defenseman. Ville Hainala, an 18-year-old who played just eight games and the team wanted to look at him. Tucker Pullman, injuries limited him away from the NHL last season. Lucas Pisa, waiver wire acquisition, and it goes on like that. Paul, this has been a terrific first half. I want to get into, in the bonus portion, the subscribers-only version of this podcast, I want to get into what Winnipeg can do going forward because the cap space exists now. There, You mentioned there isn't a lot of, um, a lot of great defensemen out there, but the possibility of some magic might yet exist. If it doesn't, Winnipeg needs solutions as well, and there's a lot to talk about with the general manager and coach. That's going to come up on the second half of the boarding pass. For the moment, I just want to say thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe. Head to theathletic.com slash pass. That's where you're going to get 40% off your subscription to The Athletic. Get us, get all of the podcasts, get all of the content, all of the sports. Plus, you're going to get to hear the extended version of the boarding pass each week at theathletic.com. For Paul Edmonds and Ken Weeb, who's off on a beach somewhere, and we love him anyway. I'm Murata Tesh. Thank you for listening to The Boarding Pass.